we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Harvey Rich, Professor Emeritus of Epidemiology at Yale School of Public Health. Today we are continuing our weekly series with various interesting and accomplished people. Our discussions have generally been on science and COVID topics, but they can go wherever our conversations might lead. And if listeners have questions for me, please submit them at americaoutloud.com forward slash pulse. I'm very pleased to introduce today's guest, Dr. Andy Boston. Dr. Boston is a physician currently affiliated with the Brown University Center for Primary Care and Prevention, and from 1997 through 2021, was an associate professor of medicine and of family medicine at the Warren Alpert Medical School of Brown University. Dr. Boston, as a clinical trialist and epidemiologist, designed and completed the largest randomized controlled trial ever conducted in chronic kidney transplant recipients. He has 128 scholarly medical publications focused largely on epidemiology and clinical trials, and Dr. Boston has testified as an expert witness in lawsuits pertaining to the COVID-19 pandemic, specifically on vaccine and mask mandates, while researching and writing extensively on those subjects, and he recently contributed to an amicus curiae brief to the U.S. Supreme Court. So, Andy, let's begin. What have you been thinking about lately? Well, uh, I've been thinking about um, how how COVID evolved and how COVID policy evolved in in my state in in, in Rhode Island, uh, and I think um, it's it's a microcosm of and 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 to a certain extent a laboratory for uh, some unfortunate policies, Harvey. Uh, and I think um, the first inkling I got of this was, uh, you know, after the initial initial lockdowns in mid mid March um the and and right about the time that you know we we began to see that um this was going to extend for a while it wasn't just going to be you know I I think if you recall it it seemed as if uh Trump was getting very anxious around Easter of of, of 2020 that he he was trying to push to you know to get the lockdowns uh over with and he got a lot of pushback um but on April 16th, there was a remarkable press conference that 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 my then governor, Gina Raimondo, who's now the Commerce Secretary, uh, held. And uh, she introduced, um, it was covered by C-SPAN, so it was really a national press conference. And it was really, you know, for us, it was a local press conference, but it was, it was broadcast nationally on C-SPAN. And Harvey, she introduced these models, and these were not, you know, long-term models. These were models which on April 16th were supposed to be predicting what was going to happen in two weeks or less on, on a- April 27th and on May 3rd. And uh, it was it was shocking to me because I, by then I was starting to keep track of, of um, the census uh, in the hospitals through the Department of Health, the Rhode Island Department of Health. And what she was saying was was truly terrifying. I mean, we just to give you a, a perspective, we have a total capacity of about twenty one hundred beds in the state, give or take. She was saying that in the in the um, strict compliance model, in other words, the 
if if the if the distancing and masking and um, were complied with, uh, uh, you know, with with fidelity by the population, uh, twenty three hundred and fifty persons would be hospitalized with with COVID, with COVID, not not total, you know, just just with COVID. I was like, well, my God, that's the whole. Uh, but but the but but if she said if, if people got lax on the measures, they had another model in red, which was double that basically. So we would have had to use field hospital capacity that equaled the capacity of beds in the state. Well, Harvey, we peaked uh, in terms of the of the first model at about 350 patients, and in terms of the second model, about 357. And the total, uh, the the peak, the absolute peak, if I recall, was around 370. To this day, there has never been a mea culpa, a discussion, how the models could be six to 12 fold off. And again, she these weren't models drawn up in January or February of 2020 to predict how the spring might look. These were literally two weeks later. Um, and, and, and they and they justified extending some of the more draconian aspects of of the restrictive measures lo- for a longer period of time. So who yeah. gave her the models? Well, that was what's interesting, too. And now, by the way, I, I, I'll talk about some other ones. That's that's an APRA request of mine. It, so we have a state level uh, FOIA, basically, which is Access to Public Records Act requests. Um, and what um, a colleague of mine, the only journalist in the state, he's a veteran journalist. He was the um, he was the editorial page editor of the Providence Journal for m- many years. He's actually a baseball and Lincoln scholar, and he's retired now. Um, and his name is Ed Acorn. Ed was questioning me in the period leading up to the release of these models, like you know what what's going on. And uh, as soon as the models were released. Um, we were we were both shocked because I was you know just to a to a person that doesn't follow these things Harvey it takes you got to get them up to speed a little bit show them which where the websites you know uh, compile this information about hospitalizations or whatever and so he was monitoring it too and by within two weeks of the models he wrote what turned out to be his last op-ed in <laughs> journal because. Well, you know, I think it's a non-disclosure agreement, and I know Ed wanted to get to. Uh, he, he actually is a very serious Lincoln scholar, and he was, you know, bringing one of his his books out. He's had a subsequent one, um, and so he, you know, he kind of was pretty blasé about you know continuing and, and just maybe devoting his time to his to his writing. Um, but I mean, it was literally the last thing that he wrote. I think there could have been more. Of, of a of a less abrupt transition but basically what what he wrote in that op-ed what well, he just pointed out what I what I told you because the numbers were in basically by then and he said how could the models be this far off and how could they be used to justify uh extending these draconian restrictions and and and, and what he found out was that it was it was right Rhode Island Department of Health personnel in combination with with Brown. That did that did that did the modeling, but he was given no names, and that's that's the, that Doctor Jaad Brown at the time. Oh, oh yeah, he was he was head of the uh, School of Public Health then too. Yes, absolutely. Um, but but what what I've done, you know, after all this time, 
and 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 there's never been any 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 you know forthcoming disclosure about how how things were so wrong. Even now that you know this, this we're not living through the hysteria right now, uh, or, or as much as people try to gin it up, um, we we uh, we don't have any explanation. So that so I put in an access to public records act request. Like I want to know who the modelers are. I want to know what their assumptions were. I want to know what internal discussion went on when the models failed so so dramatically and so abruptly in real time. And what and you know were there any were there any uh, uh, discussions about why th- these models failed so miserably and 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 what might be done you know with modeling um, not not now but like you know what about May June July of 2020? I mean and 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 for the next wave and. Were any corrections made? Basically, that's the that's the purpose of the of the Public Records Act request. But it really became uh, a pathic mnemonic of everything else that would take place. There was no transparency uh, it, when errors were made, obvious ones like this. There was there was um, there was no sense of mea culpa, and the, the drumbeat just continued. So my guess is that the people at Brown were not actually competent to do the modeling and they got it from somewhere else. That, you mean like you 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 wash Seattle or something like that or or uh I think that this came from our National Security Council and its appointees who did that draconian modeling in order to make a case for what it wanted to accomplish. That this was all planned out in event 201, if not in the multitude of previous planning, pandemic planning sessions, and that so you don't think it, it it related to 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 um local Rhode Island data even oh it might have basically okay. they got the algorithms they were told what to assume for the parameter values and they just okay. had to plug in the local data you know okay. a population size and age structure into that in order to crank out the, the predictions but I think they got it all from on high and were basically told you will use these models that we are giving you and the, and they went with it because they felt threatened that's my guess and that's one of the reasons why there's no transparency because they are more scared of divulging that than they are scared of divulging their own incompetence right right well i i don't know what to think at this point but i'm hoping you know the the, the other thing is let me let me just backtrack a little bit um so even though this this was this probably should have been one of my 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 first uh, access to public records act request it, it actually turns out to be to be the third the the other two had to do with with uh, vaccine injury in 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 the state and one of those which was which is a very specific case um that was it's really strange the way i i came across this you know i would periodically monitor vares if you've ever played with vares you can put in searching by state so of course I was searching Rhode Island, and um, you know I, I I've been focusing on on myocarditis, myopericarditis, um, and so I did a I did a um, a restricted search for for the state. I think I was looking at forty years of age. Uh, I think what's the what the bracket goes up to? I think it's thirty nine or something like that. One one of the cut cuts that you have within within VAERS when you search it manually and age category uh, rate right as an age category thirty right. to thirty nine or something like that right right or or you know in my case I think I started it at age six and went to thirty nine but but it was basically under forty and um, a case jumped out at me 
that was a 37-year-old woman. And, and you could tell this was entered by a lay person. Um, and it, it, it had very limited information. But, what, but, it, but the word autopsy was in there. Uh, myocarditis was in there. There were misspellings in there, et cetera. And I just innocently wrote to the Department of Health and the Department of Health and the medical examiner's office are basically uh, part, the medical examiner's office is, is under the rubric of the Department of Health. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I said, look, I don't know what, this is a very difficult um, Bears report to, to, to glean much from, um, you know, there's no laboratory data. Because a lot of the Bears reports, particularly for myocarditis, are actually quite sophisticated. And it looks like they're entered by health professionals. This was an exception to that to that rule, and I said, "Look, this this could be completely bogus." I, I wrote a frank message. I said, "But do you do you actually have an autopsy that matches? You know, a thirty seven year old woman vaccinated on these dates died on this date. Do you have anything like that?" And I think they made a mistake that some some lower level person actually took the response seriously mm-hmm. and mentioned that, that they they did they did have it and so i i requested the autopsy and i said i just want it you know de-identified etc and i got the autopsy and lo and behold harvey there was they wouldn't send me certain things so um i'm, I'm sure you've done this for for cancer studies i've done this for cardiovascular disease studies uh, as part of the women's health initiative you know, I had to review many, many death certificates, and then we would get the hospital records that accompanied them, and they were all redacted. And yes, and but, I'm but, have pathology reports is what I've reviewed mostly. And 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 we were we we were we had a small grant uh, that was an ancillary study to the enormous Women's Health Initiative, and we, it, so it had been you know the various clinical trials that were uh, incorporated into it, and then we were now looking at it um, after the fact in terms of some observational data, and one of the outcomes that was, was, I guess, was validated. And then we were starting to, to actually look at um, risk factor relationships was, was sudden cardiac death. So they had, they had a protocol for what would be determined a, a sudden cardiac death based on what you could glean from, not only from the, from the um, death certificate, but from accompanying medical records and, and, and autopsies were available. So I was used to going through redacted uh, uh, autopsies. And typically, even if it was um, a case like this, which turned, which which may have been a person that lived lived by herself, et cetera, um, you know, there would be a, a emergency medical service uh, uh, information, a neighbor's information. They'd contact whatever healthcare uh, 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 personnel she she'd been in contact with, if you know, in terms of primary care, if there was any primary care, anything. They would gather up all that information along with the the uh the pathologist's uh uh report the car the coroner's report well they wouldn't send me that but what they did send me was a summary of the autopsy which as far as i could tell and an extract of the separate cardiovascular pathology report that was of course the most interesting and they wouldn't give me the full report of that redacted either just just what what appeared in the summary um uh, general uh, uh pathology autopsy and by the way most of the autopsies that come through that department are to rule out foul play i later, right. I later that, that's the state's yeah. interest that's right yeah yeah and so so they 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 don't do a lot of additional testing but 
what what I what I what the cardiovascular pathology report said is that there was actually evidence of uh, lymphocytic myocarditis that particularly affected the the cardiac conduction system. And so what and and the woman after all again that's why this was originally you know a a, a forensic case she was found dead in the bathtub. And so what the pathologist said the 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 cardiovascular pathologist and I I think the 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 um the general pathologist agreed was that uh, the the woman had had a, a sudden cardiac death event in the bathtub slumped under and then drowned uh, but 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 they were but they were very adamant they were very clear that the cause of death this was a sudden cardiac death likely due to an arrhythmia uh, in the presence of of, of acute inflammatory my, uh, uh, lymphocytic myocarditis and so I was just asking it that I mean someone had slipped up and sent me sent me this information and I said well, what about the rest of the redacted information? You know, can I get the 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 um the, the, any sort of clinical history that accompanied the case? Uh, can can I get the full cardiovascular uh, pathology report? I was even told that there were there were um, uh, FFP formalin fixed paraffin embedded uh, tissue. Uh, that uh, was preserved a, a tremendous amount of it, and and so the person died in in 2021 in the spring, and there's there's five years that they keep that material. So, um, uh, well, in Rhode Island, I was told five, but oh, maybe, maybe seven, I think. All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so I was thinking to myself, well, you know, we could we could do we could do a lot of testing, you know, anonymous, you know, testing, de-identified tissue. Uh, for rule out the the common viruses that 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 could cause myocarditis in this setting, um, as as you and I are both aware now, there are there are pretty sophisticated um, uh, GC mass spec and other assays that can now distinguish between spike protein that's of viral origin and 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 vaccine origin. I mean, a lot of tests could be done to just just establish or further or, or just tease out. You know, was this coincidental? So after Harvey, this was twelve days after the second uh, Moderna shot. Oh, so you have the the, the dose information. Uh, uh, I, I, I all you had was VARES. Okay. So the other thing, the other thing that they, I think they were keeping from me is because you know who has better records than the Rhode Island Department of Health of who's been vaccinated in Rhode Island. I mean, they were they were so. they kept assiduous records about that. Well, it's, I don't know if the pharma, drug stores, and whatever who was doing that would would provide information to the state or not. Uh, but you they, they they have really they have really good records they have really right. good records and and well, well we've got to take a pause here um sure so let's just take a, a break for a minute and uh this is for a commercial break so we'll be back very shortly please everybody stay tuned world-class care from doctors you can trust all from the comfort of your home that is one wellness Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? 
The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Welcome back. This is Dr. Harvey Rich with Dr. Andy Bostom. Well, we were just discussing an autopsy case that he was able to get some of the information about in Rhode Island and a woman, um, 36-year-old, I think you said, 37-year-old? 37-year-old, yeah. Woman who had died abruptly that was attributed to myocarditis where the damage was in the conduction system of the heart. That's the part that regulates the, the heartbeat, the rate of the heartbeat and each heart impulse. And so you were saying that you were still trying to get more information about her. Right. So I went back, I went back with a second request to get whatever ancillary information there was in terms of clinical history. Again, no matter how remote it was, I wasn't, you know, if it, if it came from healthcare providers, if it came from EMS workers, neighbors, whatever, you know, so, uh, and I also wanted to know, because, um, uh, they do limited testing in terms of forensics to, to determine whether there was foul play, but um, it, it either either did they do any additional testing that might have been diagnostic in terms in terms of of ruling in or ruling out um, like a viral origin as opposed to well to they a, would do toxicology for foul play they would do they, toxicology thing. right and they and and I and I and I and I asked for that too and but you know that becomes more confidential. Um, and, but at a certain point, I actually got to speak to the chief pathologist, not not the pathologist assigned to this particular case, but the but the man who runs the department. And I thought we had a very you know honest uh, conversation, and he he was the one who told me about the stored um, uh, um, the slides uh, from the stored slides the 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 the, 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 the FFPE. Uh, and how much of it there was. And I act, and, and so all I suggested to him, I said, well, if they, if the Department of Health, the, the medical examiner's office could get permission from the family to release de-identified tissue, I have collaborators that would that would be able to do additional assays to sort of pin down etiology in, in a way, because the man, the, the, the pathologist was complaining to me, oh, I wish we could do this. We, we don't have enough budget. You know, we just do the forensics. I, I thought I was talking, you know, frankly, to someone that was for once a little bit sympathetic. Well, when when I filed for additional information, he apparently was was contacted by his bosses there, and he put in an affidavit, which is just factitious, that I was demanding, I was demanding the identity of the decedent and the decedent's family. Mm -hmm. I, I, I went. I, I couldn't believe it. And of course, they refused the additional request. But that was one of their rationales that I was going to re-identify the, the, the patient, the family, etc. 
I felt I had no, I went to a lawyer and, and now the case is, you know, we, we filed a formal complaint uh, to not only get the information, but to, but to say that, you know, you, you can't, you can't defame someone who thought he was collaborating in good faith with, with, with the pathologist there. Right. But you know, he may have been forced to do that to save his job. I think so. I think so. I think so. But, but at any rate, I mean, you know, whatever the circumstances are, Mostly, it's about trying to get the information and 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 determine. I I think this is a fairly striking case that that really could be due to the to the vaccine. But, but there, me, there have been so many, you know, right. sudden deaths in basically professional athletes or near professional athletes, people who who are heavy exercisers as their hobbies, you, who've been vaccinated and uh, between a week and six months keel over with cardiac ar uh, arrhythmias you know and many of them, and women uh, and women harvey there are there are, right. there are published right. there are published and non-athletes there are non-athletes but otherwise apparently healthy women including younger women that that in this age range uh that but, but it turns out that a, a great many of these people are athletes in their spare time right that, that that you find if you get more information about them that there's something about cardiac output and cardiomegaly, you know, healthy cardiomegaly that puts these people at increased risk that, you know, that for whatever reason, their muscle efficiency is, is so good that, that their impulse conduction is much more sensitive to disruption apparently, or something that I'm hypothesizing, but, but right. it's something like that. And the yeah, there was a, there risk. was a Japanese baseball player who was one of what, who fits the, the criteria that you just outlined that, that was in, in one of Japan's analyses of their um, sudden cardiac deaths that they believe were due to MRNA vaccination. And and uh, I actually I actually cited that in in, in a write up I, I I did but but the bottom line was that um, it, it, there was a larger issue Harvey because um, and this was my other APRA request so there were three there's the the one for the 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 you know egregiously inaccurate modeling this sudden cardiac death case but then the the third one that I put in was because in um, it was September of 2020, the Rhode Island Medical Society Journal uh, published a paper by the Department of Health. They were all Department of Health authors, including the woman that's now the director of the Department of Health, uh, the Dr. Abdallah Bandi. And they were crowing, basically, about how, oh, they had set up this vaccine surveillance team that was going pour, pouring through the VAR system data as it pertained to Rhode Island and then recategorizing it and how, you know, in full transparency, they were they, this this group met every week and they were going to have um, updates that would be provided to interested parties, in, in, including the media. Um, and I'm reading this because, you know, I don't read the Rhode Island Medical so Society Journal, uh, uh, <laughs> but I don't read it very often. But but, you know, it, this I I. I was reading, uh, looking for something else, and I stumbled across this, and I was I was absolutely stunned, because of course, by the time I read this paper, um, it was well into 2022, and none of this had happened. I mean, absolutely none of this had happened. Um, and but but um, I used that paper as the basis for another uh, Public Records Act request. Like, where where are all these data? <laughs> when did you meet? Who's on this committee? Right. And that's a that's another one that I think is going to have to go to to uh, to litigation. 
So, you know, the CDC did the same thing. In, in fall of 2021, the CDC said that, maybe it was fall of 2020, they said that they had eight clinical databases of information about vaccination status and disease outcomes, conditions and deaths outcomes that they were going to correlate to use for monitoring what happens with the vaccines. That included vSafe, VAERS, and some of the large insurance company databases. But they said they were going to be transparent, reveal all this information to the public. And of course, you know that as soon as the vaccines got rolled out and they started seeing the myocarditis cases, and that was occurring in, in April and May of, of 2021, that there was even, now we know from FOIA documents, that they were right. discussing the problems of myocarditis amongst themselves, even though they were not admitting to it publicly in May of 2021, that they revealed none of it, that they disparaged the VARES. They put down the VARES, even though that was the public-facing database. They did some vSafe analyses. And then, of course, two weeks before they rolled out the um, the, the current so-called update vaccine, no longer called a booster, even though that's what it is. Um, so they two weeks before, three weeks before, they canceled the vSafe program altogether. They had originally, they claimed that it was scheduled to terminate at that time. But can you imagine terminating follow-up after a year or two years of something where the adverse events are going on for forever, and all they have to do is be collecting passive data into the system. So they they terminated that with a statement of they were going to develop a new system for other conditions, not COVID yeah. or not not explicitly COVID. That all of these things, this is the same as the the vaccine randomized trials where they they gave the vaccine to all the control group a month after the, they presented the results, so they could hide the safety factors. Okay, it's the it's, same it's cover. A very, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very disturbing, but but consistent, uh, consistent pattern. And actually, um, I, I uh, when I when I the first time I read that Rhode Island Medical Society Journal paper, the first time I discovered it was when in 2022. So I just filed that request recently. Um, but I had I had become aware of that paper. Um, when when I was uh, I was um, given information about a Brown student uh, that was a 20 year old, as it turns out, that had been volunteering at one of the major uh, affiliate hospitals of the of the Brown University uh, Medical School. But he was an undergrad. So I guess he was a, he was a pre-med student. And um, it, I would. I, so th this came up it was re really, really bizarre. An old colleague of mine who was uh, who's a who had just retired as a cardiologist, uh, and he had um, he had been a fellow when I was a when I was doing my internship, and I had heard a rumor that he had refused to get vaccinated and, and had been terminated. And it, it turns out that was untrue. I, I tracked him down, and that someone who had the same last name as him that might have happened. So it was, but we just got the catching up with each other, and he asked me what I was doing. And at the time, I was I was still involved with uh, this sort of endless lawsuit that parents filed against the mask mandate in the state of Rhode Island. Um, and I was I was beginning to to get involved with some vaccine um, related cases, um, mostly against mandatory vaccination, uh, and trying to get people uh, waivers. Um, and it's like the floodgates opened up Harvey. It like something had been bothering him, even though he was a total vaccine zealot himself. I mean, he was already getting boosted extra times and he's got some chronic, um, 
actually, as it turns out, some chronic uh, CHF related uh, issues. Uh, but he said, oh, yeah, I was on call at the Miriam Hospital uh, and I didn't, you know, cardiologists now take calls from home and they work with the hospitalists and the people in the in the in the CCU. Um, and it, and a brown, as he identified to me, a, he didn't he didn't remember the name or anything. And obviously it's all protected confidentiality information. But a brown student um, had uh, been volunteering he, at the Miriam Hospital and was admitted with with myopericarditis. And this was back in March of of 2021. And what was unusual, Harvey, and made it easy for me to, to eventually, using de-identified databases, sort of corroborate what was going on. I use I use VAERS, first of all. But also, uh, every year, you can purchase the hospitalization de-identified data sets for the whole state of Rhode Island from the Department of Health. And I've been working with a very good uh, data analyst uh, uh, in Tennessee. And, and, you know, we've done a couple of just preliminary analyses of it. So... Remember, it was March of 2021. Well, this age group was not eligible yet for the for the vaccine by the standard state criteria. However, this young man was nobly volunteering at the at, at, at the Miriam Hospital and he was able to jump the line. So he stood out in VAERS. There was only one case in that age group in Rhode Island as early as March. So that was hit number one. I was also able to find him in the um, in the in the state zone records, which you know have have it's de-identified in a different way, but it had the it had the month, didn't have the day of hospitalization. Vares Vares actually has the days of hospitalization. It ha- it had the month. It was also March. Um, my informant had told me that he the the family was contacting um, uh, the hospital from lived down south. Well, the young the the the, the Rhode Island hospitalization record uh, reported his state of residency as Florida. Um, there were so many things lined up. Then eventually, there was some case series published uh, in in the late spring of 2020 from the Brown University Cardiology Division. Of course, it's all you know it's all de-identified, but the but the ejection fraction uh, in the in the VAERS report on his echo matched exactly what was in the paper. I mean, it, it was you could you could really make a grid and line things up. So to cut to the chase, um, I, I have a we, we have a close family friend whose son is a student uh, uh, at, at Brown, and she was she had her connections to the to the president of the university, uh, and she wrote a very polite letter, um, you know, because uh, she wanted to know what why didn't Brown mention protecting the person's the young man's anonymity why didn't brown mention this to the to the students because this happened a couple of months before the vaccine mandate campaign you know took took uh was underway in earnest at brown and this would have been very important information uh to to weigh risk benefit and i also told her and she did uh, to ask the pre- ask the ask president paxson um how many young men and women had been hospitalized before the vaccines were even available uh, from COVID. Because, you know, I, I'd been, I think you recall, I'd been tracking this for, for Scott Atlas all the way back going to the fall of 2020. And it was, thank God, I mean, that one of the mercies of COVID was how rare hospitalizations were in, in the healthy young college age population. And so uh, she was, my friend was dismissed, of course, by the Brown University president and um 
couple of months went by and I got a state representative to start questioning uh, Brown University about you know why they didn't inform the student body what had happened. Well, it was total denial, Harvey. They wouldn't admit. I can, that I can tell you why. A... I mean, Yale never said anything about anybody on campus who had ever had any serious uh, outcome, either from COVID or from the vaccines. And I think every other university is the same. And the reason is that the COVID policies of the universities were dictated by their attorneys, not by their scientists. The the scientists all acted like Rochelle Walensky. If you ever saw her present. Uh, on you know the her interviews on on TV on on podcasts and whatever she's sitting there profusely perspiring being excessively nervous you right. know because she's being told that if she doesn't um convey the party line message that something bad draconian is going to happen to her or her family or whatever and you know this well, is well in, in, in Connecticut Harvey so my my two, my my daughter graduated a, a year and a half ago from UConn. My son is in his senior year now, and um, I went to a board meeting. I've never done this before. I went to a UConn board meeting. Um, I think it was uh, January of 2022, and I'd had enough. And I I I waited my turn, and to the board I said, I want to know. I I. I Introduced myself as as a as a as an academic uh, uh, you know physician etc. I want to know how many students have been hospitalized as a result of a of a COVID infection that caused a pneumonia like syndrome, a lower respiratory tract infection, from the entire course of the of the pandemic at UConn, which has about thirty thousand undergraduates and graduates enrolled in total, and. A woman came up to me very sheepishly at the end. Of course, they didn't know. You know, people sitting there didn't know. Right, we'll get back to you. Never. <laughs> well, well, no, no. This this woman said, "All you have to do is file what's essentially a university public records request." Well, they, I, I, you know, I was very dubious. In two weeks, they wrote back to me. We haven't had a single uh, a single hospitalization. Right. Along the lines of what you and and of course, I wasn't surprised, but it, but at least. At least here you had a thirty thousand, uh, you know, uh, 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 student body uh, through the course of the pandemic without a single COVID hospitalization, and and I was able to document that. And then it turns out University of Mass Amherst. I wrote to them after after this success. I wrote to them, and they said, "Oh, gee, we we you know maybe we're unique, but we actually track that." And it was very. Byzantine to get through the website, but lo and behold, I went through every month through about the end of uh, certainly the end of 2021, maybe even into well into 2022. I forget. And lo and behold, that's even bigger—40,000 between the graduates and undergraduates. They had one, and they described the case, uh, you know, in very in very um, limited way, but you could see that it was a mild case. Was that a, a young person had been hospitalized for a couple of days? Was discharged and was doing very well. That was it. Forty thousand kids, right? Know? Right. So, so of course they don't want this information out there, Harvey. It it makes the risk benefit calculation look ridiculous. Well, I'll come back to that. So we've got to another commercial break point. So we'll be back shortly. Everybody, please stay tuned. Changing the world one person at a time. 
Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Welcome back. This is Dr. Harvey Risch with Dr. Andy Boston. We were just talking about the universities and their COVID vaccine mandates and the fact that all of the students, among all of the, the many tens of thousands of students at UConn and, uh, and other universities, had essentially none, no students hospitalized with any seriousness from the COVID itself. And that's not, that, that is the rational analysis that you and I do. But that is not what the universities were thinking. What they were thinking is the risk-benefit analysis was irrelevant. They were thinking about legal exposure and their attorneys were telling them that if you complied with what the CDC says to do, then if anything bad happens, you just point saying just following orders. Okay. Right. And right. so that's what they did. So in spite of the fact that CDC says, oh, we were only making suggestions, you know, right, right. then the universities uh, and other and large corporations and others were being told by their attorneys, if you follow their, quote, suggestions, then you have legal standing in case somebody dies from, from COVID, somebody dies from the vaccine, whatever it is, you point to the CDC and say, they told us to do it. You know, I guess, I guess, Harvey, we're, 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 uh, we're from a different generation where I guess no one, no one even, even, even with the, with the, with the, with the visual uh, generations, Maybe it would have been good to to run a loop of uh, you know, judgment at Nuremberg uh, during this whole period. <laughs> maybe 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 that would have gotten through to them with this type of thinking and defense. You know, it's it's, oh, it's really you know funny. in in mid uh, twenty twenty when I was publishing on hydroxychloroquine and the pushback in in the media and Fauci and others were all saying it doesn't work and they were touting. Pay, uh, studies of hospitalized patients, and I was saying this is irrelevant. I'm talking about outpatients. I said this is a big lie. We're in like in Germany in 1934 here, and I was saying that publicly in mid 2020. Yeah, well, but but I'm just saying in terms of this defense that I was following orders. Uh, you know, that's a very moving film to to rebut that. <laughs> That type of defense, and it's and it's it's a movie. E, e, you know, even even the dumbed down generations can watch a movie. You know? Yes, I know, but you know, who's going to be the first to stand up? Right. You know? 
You know, I stood up. Um, I've managed to get through my career in the way that I wanted to. Right. Um, you know, I've fought issues of smearing and misrepresentation. The latest misrepresentation is some fringe websites are saying that I said billions of people would die from cancer from the vaccines, which I've never said. I said that that it's an unusual presentation of these cancers, uh, and that, but we don't know quantitatively how it's going to roll out. You know, so the, and I don't know if that those smears were paid for by somebody trying to smear me or something, or just were were idiotic, incompetent reporting uh, of fringe sites trying to drum up business. Hard to know, but in any event, that who else? Nobody else has been standing up for any of this, even though these things were obvious to anybody with with half an ounce of, of gray cells in, you know, in, in their brain that that people are willing to tolerate too much nonsense uh, as status quo and not say and not object to it and for me i've only stood on the science i've stayed completely within whether a drug works or not in its usual um circumstance who are the patients what's the outcomes you know and so on you define and what are the doses you define all of that it's a question of nature it is not a question of politics it is not a question of whether the president says it or not it's not a question of anything else other than how nature works and that's what science is and the evidence bearing on how nature works is completely justifiable and i don't have to make excuses for it and i'm certainly not going to lie over it why can't others stand up that way? I don't understand. No, I don't. I don't get it either. I, I mean, you know, as, like I said, the thing that first got me in was these egregiously uh, hysterical models uh, for for hospitalizations in Rhode Island, which you know, which were which were immediately wrong. Um, but then the the other the other issue, and, and actually, I I do remember I had to file an access. Believe it or not, I had to file an access to public records act request for this. This this happened during twenty twenty. Um, uh, there, there was. Um, I was contacted um, by a, a friend of the family who who was um, who works at the. Uh, he's a corrections officer. He works at the at the large state facility, the Adult uh, uh, Corrections Institute, and they were under these very strict um, quarantines if they if they happened to test positive, and um, he had mild symptoms really, and and a younger colleague of his was pretty much asymptomatic. Uh, or, or again, minimal symptoms, and yet they were quarantined. This was in the spring of uh, of twenty twenty. So that was um, the ten day routine at that time. Yeah, ten, and, and in their case, I think it's as long as fourteen days. Um, and and so I said, well, okay, but when you tested positive, uh, you've got to go back. I, I you know, I, I don't expect you to have known this in advance, but you've got to go back and demand that they provide the cycle threshold at which. You <laughs> Good luck with that. At which you said, well, so so our, our close family friend was was given the runaround, was never able to get it, but his his younger colleague, who was even more mildly affected, he got it, and of course, it was like thirty four or thirty five. And and so it, it it dawned on me because initially all the um, PCR testing was done through the state lab, so I FOIA'd it, and it I had to get I had to get a state representative to help me again. They wouldn't. They finally just you know grudgingly sent it to me, and I worked with a with a with a colleague who's a data analyst, and and um, 
and the head of the the, the Center for Primary Care and Prevention. At, 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 it's interesting. It has the name Brown University Center for Primary Care and Prevention, but it's based outside of Brown University. And and because of the controversial things I've been involved with, it's it, I was glad because it protects my my colleague. Um, but we were able to show that you could actually you could actually track the first wave by looking looking at the cycle thresholds. They got higher and higher and higher to to a point where. As 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 the as the clinical indices tailed off, the hospitalizations, the deaths, um, virtually all the all those testing positive were testing in in the range where there's you can't really culture virus, and so and so we 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 said well you know and we did eventually put out a preprint, um, and we just and we just said well why don't you because I, I had learned by this point that India was actually where they could in the more developed parts of India. They were using the cycle thresholds, and in their case, given the the enormity of of of, of that of, of dealing with that population, they'd come up with a very simple algorithm, which is if if you uh, if you had a cycle threshold that was twenty five or or above, they just ignored it. Basically, if you if you had um, if you had risk factors, particularly diabetes. And you tested between 20 and 25, they had a nurse practitioner or their equivalent follow you if you were still outside the hospital, still outside the hospital. If if you were less than 20, particularly if you were having severe symptoms, they brought you in for evaluation. And, 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 but they were using the cycle threshold data in, in India. But you know what's interesting about that is people think that uh, that positivity at thresholds over 33 or 34 reflect false positivity but that's not true it reflects true positivity of viral fragments that are still in the nose and, uh, and understood reason, but but wait there's more but, but there's more uh, about that because they're there because the person did have covid two to five weeks before that point was minimally symptomatic didn't recognize it and and finally got tested at some later point for some other reason like their employer made them have routine testing or something like that. And that's where those things were, were found. And, and so these things are not reflective of, as you said, of, of viral presence and risk of infection, but they, but they are not false positive either. They were, they're reflective of a previous infection. No, 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 no. It wasn't, it was, it, but, but the point was that they didn't have, um, you know, when, when I, when you looked at where we decided these cut points, we reviewed the literature and it was very, it was very difficult to culture virus. Occasionally you could, but it was very difficult to culture virus and you could set your own cut points. You could, you could use the very, the very, um, uh, strong cut point that the Indians use, which was, you know, above 25, you could use 28. You certainly could use 30. And, and well, right. it's a continuum you, with a very, with very weak accuracy. That's the problem. Well, but the but the point was that you could if, if you're managing all these people and you're and you've already done the, the 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 dumb thing of testing all of them, at least give them the information and use it to triage. You know, I mean if you've got if you've got serious symptoms and a and a very low cycle threshold where they become positive, okay, pay more attention to people like that. Or, you know, but if but if you've got you know symptomatic or asymptomatic people with a with a CT of, of 35, leave them alone and don't keep them out for two weeks. That's all yeah. we were asking, you know. Well, right, but that's too rational and yeah. not, not what the security state was enforcing on the country. Right. 
right but but that was my that was my first uh APRA request and they and, and of course you know they and i and i said even from the public health perspective if you're not going to use it to uh, to give individual patient information, because of course, you know, that's also verboten for so-called public health. I said, use it, use it to track the waxing and waning of, of the, of the epidemic itself. You do it, do something with it. Don't just hide it and, and tell the public they can't have it. <laughs> well, you know, I've been maintaining for the whole pandemic that the case counts are irrelevant, that pandemics are not managed by the number of cases you manage a pandemic by numbers of hospitalizations and numbers of deaths that the case counts are only used to stir up fear in the population and have no other purpose absolutely and 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 but but the but there's another problem because you know you remember harvey it took them until omicron to begin to come clean about hospitalizations uh, that that were because of COVID or were basically uh, basically tangential to COVID, In, incidental with COVID yeah, or incident. from COVID. That's right. Yeah, and and, and but but however, I, I do remember that uh, certainly in the pediatric population, uh, there were already papers that emerged through the first wave, which were suggesting that um, in Northern California there were two centers that 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 published papers in the same issue of of. Um, pediatric hospital practice i think it was it was some second tier journal but they published two two papers and already by then through the first wave they were seeing 40 to 45% of the hospitalizations were incidental in children that's that's uh, about right and there's there's two papers there's also a paper in adults that i ballparked it and said about half of those cases in the, in that period before omicron half were with and half were from covid uh, yeah, and, and, and then with Omicron, it, with Omicron, you got numbers as low as 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 ten percent. Ten percent, that's right. <laughs> it's, and and um, yeah, that was that. That's been my other. That's been my other concern with the state. So when when um, last fall, and there, you see them trying to do it again this fall, they were talking about a, a, a pediatric trip in particular. They were talking about triple demic in, in general, but in particular pediatric triple demic last fall to, to gin up support for vaccinating children. And I was able to get uh, information combined from, from the Department of Health with a lot of pressure, uh, particularly, you know, sending in uh, just simple data requests uh, with with uh, with my local uh, state representative, you know, co-signing co it or, or on the email uh, being CC'd. Uh, and then also uh, a, a colleague at, at Rhode Island Hospital was able to do EMR searches, uh, de-identified EMR searches. And what they were calling a triple-demic, uh, Harvey, was was about 90% uh, RSV, about 5% um, uh, flu, and and maybe 5% uh, COVID. Less, what, less. what age range are we talking about? Pediatric, the whole pediatric age range, so zero to seventeen years old. Oh, because because RSV is only really an issue for up to six months or something like that. That and even in children, it's not such a severe illness. Right, but the whole, but 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 in young, well, I, no, I we, we I think we saw it in, in up to about five years of age in terms of in terms of the hospitalization. But the point yeah. was that they were using they were piggybacking COVID onto RSV and flu. And calling it a triple demic, it was it was largely driven last year by RSV, and with, with with some additional contribution from from flu in kids, and virtually nothing coming from COVID or by by last fall 
and that's that they were calling a triple demic. But and and that RSV was not making its way into the adult population, even with all of that circulating. No, and you see, did you see the vaccine trial that they that they that they produced, which gave them the the um, the ability to license the new uh, RSV vaccine in adults, targeting older adults. I mean, it's a twenty-five thousand patient RCT, which I give them credit for for at least for at least doing that. Um, but but in 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 six months of follow up, they didn't have a single RSV death in the, and 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 all the patients were were sixty and above, and the median age was sixty nine. And and th- I've never seen this before in a paper, Harvey. They said there were two RSV related hospitalizations. Again, remember the trial cohort is twenty five thousand. They they wouldn't break the blind. I said, you're publishing a paper. What do you mean you're not breaking the blind? They wouldn't say where the two hospitalizations because of RSV came from. Whether they were uh, both in the placebo group, both in the in the vaccinated group. I never saw that in a paper before. I, maybe you've seen it. I've never seen that before. I've never seen that either. And I think that the in the New England Journal of Medicine. Oh, the New England Journal of Mendacity. <laughs> it's just, I, I, I mean, the study's over, guys. You know, that's when you're supposed to break the blind. You're but you know, a paper. But it, it's irrelevant because it still wouldn't matter because the, no, so th- those are chance numbers anyway. Exactly. Okay? Exactly. That that study is completely uninformative. Should never have been published in the New England Journal because it's uninformative. By, by the way, Harvey. Well, again, twenty-five thousand adults at least age six. But, but you know, it's irrelevant. Wait, wait. Do you know? Do you know how many there were? There were. There were total. Just in fact, there were forty-seven infections in twenty. How is this a relevant? That, that's my point. The, that's my. Adult. That's my point. Huh. The, the size of a study is not how big the number of people in it that you put in. It's how many people come out as events. Though that is what matter, that is what is the size of so would the New England Journal publish a study with 47 cases, 23 controls, and 24 ca- uh, cases? No, it would never publish such a small study. That would be except irrelevant. for an RSV vaccine that they want out there. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, we've gotten out of time already, and and this is what happens when we get into these discussions that that we they could just keep going, but unfortunately, we're out of time. So I hope all of our listeners have enjoyed this discussion, and if you have questions for me please submit them at americaoutloud.com forward slash pulse. So Andy, thank you so much. This has been some really great conversation. Thanks for doing it. And thanks everybody for listening. And please come back next week.